feel like I had church all during worship, don't you? And you can wait because there's more. Would y'all like more? Do you want to go an acceptable distance in the eyes of your peers or do you want to go all the way with the Lord? Well, that takes us to the completion of our marriage and spiritual reproduction series. Today is Sunday, September 30th, 2018. It's going to be our fourth and our final installment in marriage and spiritual reproduction. We're going to recap briefly our previous three messages because many of you may not remember what happened three weeks ago and some of you weren't here. Having said that, don't glaze over. All of these principles are completely connected in this fourth message and it's necessary for you to understand the key elements of each message to get to the fourth one. Are you going to stay with me this morning? Do you want good marriages? Those of you that are not yet married, you should want a good marriage even more. Those of you already married, you understand what's at stake here. And those of you that plan to be single for the rest of your life, you are married to Christ and you want that to be a good marriage. If none of those apply, then you probably have a spiritually transmitted disease. And uh, we'll aim at curing those STDs here today too. These titles have been provocative. They've been provocative because I want you to dial in in the first few minutes. I want you to wonder what I'm going to say and wonder if your guest is going to stand up and run out. The gospel has always been revolutionary. It's always been cutting edge. I'm not being salacious for the purpose of lowering the gospel. I'm simply speaking of basic spiritual truths in words that you haven't usually heard them associated with. So our first merit, our first message was limp leadership, flaccid marriage. We looked at these seven principles that are requirements for a man to marry a woman. They all came from Genesis between Genesis 1.28 and Genesis 2.17. It's necessary for a man to know his purpose before he's married. Otherwise, the blind will lead the blind right into a ditch. It's necessary for the husband and wife to meet in the very presence of God. If you met in a bar, God may redeem that, and I'm thankful for it. Every once in a while, somebody falls out of an airplane without a parachute and survives, but I don't recommend that practice. Adam and Eve met in the presence of God. In Genesis 2.15, God gave Adam a job before he gave him a wife. Come on, somebody say, work comes before woman. And in his job, he had to cultivate. Oh, come on now. Cultivate me, baby. Cultivate me. You got to bring forth the best in the people that you love. You cannot be a man who brings everybody down everywhere that you go. You cannot be a man who is critical in his heart. You have to bring forth life. The fifth thing was that he had to protect what God had given to him. It was his job to guard the garden. There were subversive forces on the planet. There was darkness here before there was light. The very creation itself would resist the man's governance even before the man sinned. In fact, he was told to put the kibosh on it. That's a fun word to say. The sixth thing was the man had to possess the word. God had given Adam his word. There is no record of God giving Eve the word because it is every husband's job to teach his wife. She is seeking knowledge. She is seeking instruction. And if you don't give it to her, 
She may look for it from an outside source. It's probably why Oprah and The View are so popular. It's the same snake speaking in all the same ways. So from there, the failure of the man was that he did not teach his wife. And when she was confronted with a serpent, she succumbed to his wiles. So we want to be men who teach the word. Can you say amen? Amen. Men, how many of you want to rise to that standard? How many of you desire to be a limp, feckless, mealy-mouthed leader with a flaccid marriage? Well, that's really good. You've come to the right church. There are other churches for pusillanimous cowards like that, but this is not one of them. Our second message was ED and the cure. We openly mocked Pfizer's futile efforts to address men's issues through their best-selling product, Viagra. We instead learned of a 3,500-year-old prescription safeguarded by the Jewish people. Theirs they named Vaikra. It's the book of Leviticus. They patented it, but they offered it to the world free of charge to the recipient and at the cost of the life of the giver. We read to you from Vaikra or Leviticus 17.11, where it says, For the life of the creature is in the blood. And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. We learn that the foundation of a marriage is actually a blood covenant. And whether your covenant is succeeding in life or failing in death depends on how seriously you treat the blood that made your covenant. Then we move to a rather instructive atonomical uh, display. Yeah, highly detailed. You know, this uh, the uh, Vitruvian man has nothing on this. We looked at the ways in which the Bible says that your body is a temple and that a wife's body was born sealed from God. A sealed package that only a high priest should enter. A high priest called by God. And that the tearing of that veil and the entering into the holy place sealed the blood covenant. A somberness came over the room when we realized how many of us had treated this as something base. Something carnal. We realized that most of us had sinned against the very blood of the covenant. Some had no blood to offer. And then we rejoice that when we had no blood to offer, Christ gave us his. So our covenant with each other is also a covenant with Christ. His blood became a substitute. His seriousness, his faithfulness became a substitute where we had sinned. The wrath of God for our wickedness fell on him that we might stand in righteous covenant with each other and with God. Somebody say amen. Amen. As that happened... One of the key scriptures was Ephesians 2 in verse 12. When we looked at that, we said, Remember that at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. That made us so happy. Because we realized that we were given hope through the blood of Christ. We were given promise through the blood of Christ. We were given citizenship through the blood of Christ. And we were given covenant through the blood of Christ. 
One of the things that you started to learn, what is it, as much as that speaks about salvation, it also speaks about the biblical practice of a husband and a wife meeting on the day of their marriage, never having met before. Going into a bridal chamber and coming out with a blood-stained sheet that was a sign of their blood covenant. Their parents kept it, and it was proof that they were joined together by blood. Well, the blood of Christ gave us hope where we would not have hope. The blood of Christ gave us promise where we wouldn't have promise. It made us a citizen where otherwise you would not be a citizen. And most importantly, your covenant with Christ is the same as your covenant with your wife. They're both unbreakable. And if you break one, you are breaking the other. Was that instructive? The next message was called Afternoon Delight. Afternoon Delight was a play on the word noon. The word noon in Hebrew means to continue. It's N-U-N. It uh, will cover some more of what that means. But Afternoon Delight meant many things to many people. One of the first things we did in that message was cover John 3.16. How many of you can quote John 3.16? If I call you to the stage, how many of you would put your hands down? (laughs) For God so loved the world. We have a bad habit in this country of thinking when he says, I so love the world, that it means I so loved Eric. I so love Wade. I so love Matthew. It's not what it says. Actually, the world here is God's order, regular disposition, and arrangement of the world. God liked the way that he created the world. He liked the way that he put it together. He made a choice to make sure that that arrangement stays whole. That's important because God ordered the world. He ordered your life. And he orders a marriage. There is a God-ordained order that if you do not discover, you will never be operating in the love of God. But when you do discover it, your afternoon becomes a delight rather than one that is filled with spite. In that message, we said that blood was paid to get you because he valued you. He loves you and wants you to be a permanent part of his order regular disposition and arrangement of the world that he is redeeming. We went through 12 steps to come up with a definition of love. Our definition of love in that message was love is an action that results from the choice to value the blood covenant so much that you sacrifice for it continually because that's what God does. So you can't fall out of love. Love is a choice where you're told you don't have a choice You're subject to your emotions. You're just a biological response. You actually have a choice. And love is making a choice every day to honor the blood of Jesus and the blood of your spouse that binds you. Does that make sense? How many of you learned something in those messages? There was a radical idea in Numbers 12.7. It's the last thing we'll cover from Afternoon Delight as we move on to our new material. In Numbers 12.7, Moses was called a faithful servant in all God's house. Man, what an ideal. How many of you would like that to be on your tombstone? 
a faithful servant in all God's house. That word in Hebrew is niman. And it's unique because it has a noon that begins it and a noon that ends it. And a noon comes in two forms. When you look at a noon in um, modern Hebrew, the one in the middle here is slightly bent over. It is a very humble letter. (laughs) It comes at the beginning of the word, niman, for faithful. At the end of the word, its soffit form or its final form is standing up and is crowned. This forms a Hebrew teaching, an ideal, that the greatest leaders are humble men that God raises up because of their their faithfulness. The paleo noon that Moses wrote looked like that on the left. And it's pretty hard not to associate it with the continuance of life, with an air, with sonship. It's a pictograph. Moses wrote with emojis. Teenagers, that are to make you happy. And if that were your emoji, you might understand that it was more than simply the phonetic sound that an N makes. He's saying that a humble man who God raises up will produce and continue life. Now, that's a good message, don't you think? Moving on from that, that takes us to our message today. Would you like to know what it is? About half of you would. What are we going to do with the other half? Nolan, do I have your full attention back there? Would you like to know what the message is today? Nolan would like to know. Bosh, do I have your full attention? Look at the beard on Bosh. Is that an impressive... That that, that man is beautiful. (laughs) Today's message is called Her Ministry Cycle. Let that sink in for a minute. Now, I'm going to speak to you guys here for just a minute. And ladies, you'll be a participant in this conversation, I'm sure. Do I have any married guys in the room? Let me hear from you. If you're married, let me hear from you. We got a few married folks here. Have you ever uh, been asked to go to the store late at night? You know, to buy something. You know, one of those uh, things. You know, they're usually rectangularly shaped, although these days they come in all kind of shapes and sizes. Usually a shade of white or off-white, something like that. You kind of know what I mean, don't you? I mean, you're not going to make me say it, are you? Because the truth is... That I think some of you guys need these things an awful lot more than you women do. All I'm saying is if you counsel with me in a day, you're going to find out how much these rectangular objects help you. In fact... There's a percentage of you in the church that carry them around in your pockets. You might use them more than your wife does. I'm, of course, talking about a three-by-five index card (laughs) that we call stones that are used to remember how we win in spiritual warfare. 
Remember the battles that we have won and win and the battles that we do. How many of you guys are carrying these around in your pockets right now? Amen. When you're thinking of this, I don't think you should carry around just one. How many of you guys got a nice set of stones on you right now? We've always called these three by five index cards scriptural stones. The idea is that David knew he was going to face Goliath, so he had a stone in preparation. You're going to face attack from the enemy, so you better have a stone in preparation. Did David have just one stone? No, he brought one for the giant and one for each of his brothers. I kind of think that a guy ought to have a set of stones on him. You know, it's a... Amen. It's an awkward thing when we're talking about a set of stones. It's not always the big guys that have a heavy set of stones. Sometimes the ones who are slight of stature really deliver in the stones category. As I'm thinking about that, Brother Peyton, do you have a set of stones? Stand up and show us your stones, Peyton. <laughs> I got Joshua 1.8. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Come on, somebody. That's a stone right there. When you think about that. The key to success of everything, but especially in your marriage, is the Word of God. That's a stone worth carrying, isn't it? I'd go to Walmart in the middle of the night to buy a 3 by 5 index card and put that stone on. But the thing is, is Peyton, he's not a big guy, but he got a serious set of stones. In fact, Peyton, what's your next stone? 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. How about that? That brother got a set of stones on him, didn't he? His precious promises... His divine nature found inside of you is the hope of every marriage or your marriage has no hope. If your marriage is not based on the nature of God being formed in you, being formed in your spouse, then what hope could your marriage have? That's why your favorite movie star that you pay obscene amounts of money to watch on a glowing idol can't stay married for more than a few months few years at most. And when you find one that's been married for decades, it's because he's redefined marriage to not be an exclusive commitment. You know, speaking of uh, big guys, Spencer, where are you at in the room? You know, the word on Spencer is that he has an amazing set of stones. Spencer, I'd like to see your stones. Stand up and show everybody your stones, Spencer. <laughs> I got them, Pastor. <laughs> Deuteronomy 32, 45 through 47. When Moses finished reciting all the words to all Israel, he said to them, 
Take to heart the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not idle words for you. They are your life. They're not idle words. They're life. They're the life of your marriage. The word is your life. It also says that you're to command your children and your household. The word of God is the basis for the formation of your marriage and everything that flows out of your marriage. Somebody say, Spence, that's a serious stone. stone. Spence, were were you only given one stone or do you have a set? I have a set. I want to see the other one. All right. That's Ephesians 5, 25 and 26. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Come on now. Husbands, it's your job to wash your wife in the word. It's your job to give yourself up for her. You want to know what ideal holy masculinity is? It's a husband that is sacrificial towards his wife. Come on, ladies. Somebody say amen. Amen. I want a husband with a set of stones like that. Your holiness is your husband's responsibility. See, it's his job to help perfect you. Perfect me, baby. Perfect me, baby. Perfect me, baby. That's why we love correction. We want to be cultivated. We want to grow into Christ in all of the ways we're supposed to. You know, people sometimes see pastors as humble, quiet men who are so otherworldly that they could never be imagined as walking around with a giant set of stones. Pastor Matthew is so burdened by the weight of his stones. It often drives him to prayer. Pastor Matt, would you show us your stones? Pastor, I would love to show this church my stones. Let's start with the first one. 2 Corinthians 10.5 We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The word of God is to govern our thoughts. It demolishes arguments. You know, if you love somebody, you're going to fight with them occasionally. But the word of God is the referee. The word of God is what demolishes contention. A husband without stones is a husband that won't even care to fight with you. A man's got to have a set of stones. Pastor Matthew, did you have another stone? Absolutely. Psalm 19, verse 8 through 9. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. Oh, this scripture really gets to the point of it. That's a stone of stones right there. The word of God is what fundamentally changes the character of a person. So a marriage that is based on a decent set of stones knows that the spouse can change every day. Wherever despair would set in, wherever there's hopelessness, tomorrow it will change because the word of God is yeast working its way through that whole loaf. Your husband is not a dumb oaf. 
He's a man who is being changed and transformed by God's power. Your wife is not a barefoot pregnant slave in the kitchen. She is a princess of God being transformed by His Word. You know, it's common for people to be curious about different ethnicities. The unspoken question is, hey, in that other nation, in that other place, do their set of stones look different than our set of stones? Is the color different? Is the shape different? Are the size of their stones different? Peru is among the South American countries. Its population is among the shortest in all of South America. But we have Pastor Brasso here from Peru. And the question, Pastor Brasso, is did living in Peru fundamentally change your set of stones? Oh, yes, sir, Pastor. Not only have my stones grown since being in Peru, but now I can only find blue stones. My, 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 my. Three by five index cards that are blue. Yes, Pastor. Show us your stones, brother. Well, my first stone, Pastor, is 2 Timothy 2.21. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purpose, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Do you want your household to be holy? If you want to be useful to the master, prepared for good work, it only comes through the word of God. Pastor Ricardo's stone teaches us that the word of God is sufficient for everything. But mostly it starts in your marriage. What's your second stone, Pastor? Pastor, my second stone is a lot longer than the first one. And it is Isaiah 43, verse 1 and 2. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine, says the Lord. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. I just have to say from one man to another, that pastor's got a fantastic set of stones. The redemption of God displayed in his word has become our confidence. It is our protection from all harm. When your marriage is under threat, when your children are under threat, when you don't know what to do, men, you are to be able to rely on the set of stones God gave you. Now, if I asked you if you had a set of stones... If you were a carnal man, you might answer carnally. But if you're a spiritual man, you would know that I am talking about, are you relying on the sufficiency of God's word? And if you answer yes to that, the question is, how much of his word is in you? Do you carry it in your pocket? Do you meditate on it day and night? Or is it sitting on the back dash of your car every day but Sunday? Because that's a man who's got no stones. The men in this church are learning to shape everything that we do by the word of God, period. Every once in a while, somebody say once in a while, while. there is a man 
who uses his stones so well. I mean, some guys got a set of stones, but they don't know how to apply them. On the other hand, some guys are so talented with their set of stones that you can tell by the behavior of their spouse. J.J. Moloch is such a man. J.J., show us your stones. Pastor, I've had uh, the privilege of traveling with Buddy a couple of times to go into Peru, so much so that I, too, have a blue stone. (laughs) And uh, actually, one of these stones I got the privilege of sharing with, uh, with a pastor down there in the canyon. And the very thing he was trying to discover was one of these stones. So the, I have a couple of, actually I have a couple of family stones with me. Ooh, there's nothing better than a set of family stones. They're very precious to me, like precious jewels. Precious jewels. Precious you jewels. hand them down through the generations. Yes. A son learns to have stones from watching his daddy with stones. I think Josiah has some stones too. Do you have stones, Josiah? Josiah, hold up your stone, son. There you go. See, the men in this church are not word light. We're not message Bible folks. Go ahead. Okay. Psalm 27 verses 13 through 14. I'm still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart, and wait for the Lord. Despair cannot take root in the life of a marriage that is grounded in the Word of God. J.J. and Natalie have faced their share of trials every way that they can face them. But Natalie loves her husband. Do you know why? Her husband loves the Word of God. And he places the Word of God before her, which means that he treats her like the Word of God treats her. Do you want to be confident that your marriage will see the goodness of the Lord? You better get a set of stones. They come through the word of God. And they come in pairs. Isaiah 32, verse 17. The fruit of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. Oh my goodness. Peace, quiet, confidence. These are the fruits of the word of God as applied in your marriage. Somebody say applied. Applied. See, being able to quote a stone is not the same as being able to use a stone. Using a stone is picking up the rock and killing the enemy. Not simply learning a scripture. There are men in this church that can quote scripture and they do it well. The problem is, is when they face the giant, the scripture stays in their pocket and the giant steps on their head. That's not what we mean by stones. In fact, 16 years ago when we founded this ministry... We knew that it would need to be so word-based that we would look like a cult to other churches. I'm happy to say, weekly, I'm reminded that we have succeeded in that endeavor. Just the other night, the police were at my house. Hmm. It's getting to be a regular occurrence. I asked them to come in and sit down. It'd be a good chance to talk about Jesus. But instead, they stood outside with a raving lunatic ranting with lies. Our very first t-shirt in this church clearly said on the back of it, I have been in the Philistine killing business since 1000 BC. The front of the shirt said, you got stones? The reason that we did this is we didn't mind being controversial. We knew that the word of God has always been controversial. 
We, I actually wore that to a Palestinian parade in this town on Westheimer. It was a lot of fun with an Israeli flag draped around my head just to do it. The word of God will give you a set of stones. It'll give you confidence where you never had confidence before. It'll give you direction where you never had direction before. It is the scripture that equips us. It is the scripture that trains us. It is the scripture that is sufficient for our every need as an individual and as a couple. Somebody say, the scripture scripture is sufficient. sufficient. Now, laying joking aside, that's something that all Christians agree with in principle, but it is foreign from them in practice. They think the way to fix their marriage is to go on a date. To watch a movie. The the way to fix their marriage is to spend more time feeding their carnality because it's done so well for them up to this point. The way to fix your marriage is to apply the principles that are in the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 is something that all Bible students learn to quote. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, marriage and ministry both have a very natural cycle that you must be aware of and be prepared for. When you think of a cycle, the words PMS may come to mind. You may be thinking of premenstrual syndrome, but I'm talking about pre-ministry syndrome. Your marriage is a ministry. The way that a man is qualified to pastor a church is based on his marriage, based on his children, based on his household. And anybody that has ever tried to successfully pastor their home deals with PMS. But the PMS that we're dealing with is pre-ministry syndrome. I want to show you a screenshot from Google. Now, I would say don't get mad at me for this, but let's, let's face it. You don't preach the kind of messages I do if you're even remotely concerned that people get mad. When discussing pre-menstrual syndrome, you can see this was Google's very first search result. It's the one that they sponsor. And on this search result, it speaks about mood swings, depression, poor concentration, irritability, and food cravings. It says under it, physical and emotional symptoms experienced days before a woman's period. This is very common, apparently, according to Google. Google claims that there are at least 3 million cases a year in the U.S. Can somebody in the room just attest to the fact that that's got to be an understatement? There's 350 million people in the United States. Says that the diagnosis does not require lab testing or imaging. No kidding, huh? It says that it can often be self-treated and... This part might be disappointing. That it can last several days or weeks. How many weeks are in a month? 
Now, this is Google that says this. You probably can't read that little print, so I'll read it to you. It is believed to be due to changes in the levels of hormones and neurotransmitters, chemicals in the brain. And then it lists the symptoms again, some of which even I am too embarrassed to mention. Now, premenstrual syndrome may only happen to ladies, but pre-ministry syndrome happens to every Christian regardless of their gender who is married, and it happens on a regular cycle. If we take the list of symptoms and we only look at the ones from Google that are in common, pre-ministry syndrome and pre-menstrual syndrome have a common list of side effects. Now remember, this is Google, not me. The physical and emotional changes vary from hardly noticeable to highly intense. I want to tell you after 25 years in ministry, I've noticed that that's true. The pre-ministry syndrome effects range from hardly noticeable to highly intense. Now, starting with the common ones, mood swings, depression, anxiety, Social withdrawal, irritability. I can gladly say that that is not a female problem. It does happen to females, but it happens to any home that wants to do ministry. How many of you in this room have ever hosted a Bible study? Experience any mood swings that week? Get irritable about silly details that week? At any point, want to withdraw from people? pre-ministry syndrome. Now, Google says the syndrome does not require any medical treatment. Lifestyle changes are sufficient to cope with the syndrome. Pain relievers and other medications may be used to deal with physical symptoms. It's funny how analogous these two things are, isn't it? Conflicts in a marriage, especially a marriage that is based on ministry, are inevitable. It is going to come, no matter what. Both of you took vows, and somewhere in that vow, there were words. For better or for worse. Those were not just pretty words. That's because whoever married you, whether he was a real minister or a real clown, we have learned through thousands of years of blood covenant marriages... That trials are inevitable. What God puts together, the devil wants to separate. And he'll use a variety of tools to do that. Every relationship involves male and female mood springs, depression, anxiety, withdrawal, and irritability. Christians are not independent of the Lord, though. We live in submission to him in our very souls. Somebody say submission in our souls. We're going to call that principle in this next part, soul submission. It is a cure for PMS. Let's go to Psalm 143 in verse 8. Somebody say there when you are there. Two of you are there. What's happening with the rest of you? If you're bored today, where do you normally attend church? Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. Let the morning bring me word 
of your unfailing love. For I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. In the Bible, your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's roughly equivalent to the Greek word psyche. And the idea here is that when you are in trouble, when your thoughts are not right, when your emotions are not right, that we need to first lift up our mind, will, and emotions before the Lord. The idea is that we're presenting them to Him for His examination. Come on now, anybody ever had a thought that wasn't right? You love your wife more than you love anything, except she made a mistake after you told her three times, and now you want to kill her? That's not right. Ladies, you picked up the first towel, you picked up the second towel, and now you walk through the bathroom and the seat is up again, and you're thinking, I, ha- I just had it with this man? We had four children together. We spent five decades together, but one too many toilet seat problems. See, our thoughts are not always right. We're pretty fickle, emotional human beings. So we're going to have to submit our thoughts to the Lord. And His Word will govern them. That's called soul submission. Somebody say it. Soul submission. Now, you could spell soul either way, and this works. You're going to submit your soul, S-O-U-L, to the Lord. And you are going to solely submit yourself to the Lord. Not the Lord on Monday and the devil on Tuesday. Not, not the Lord on Wednesday night, but, but your flesh on Thursday morning. We are going to practice soul submission. Now, my favorite part of this verse is an important one. It's the first three words. Let the morning bring me. See, Every Christian has the opportunity to hear from God every day. Every Christian can hear from God every day. That's what the kingdom is founded on. That a man could be the recipient of a revelation. See, Peter is there and the Lord says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for... This was not revealed to you by men. You didn't go read Dr. Spock. You didn't get some self-help book from some clown on 59. What you got came from God himself. Every Christian has the right to hear from God. Do you know what that means? Your spouse could be a fool today and tomorrow be just like God. You could be a fool today and tomorrow Be just like God because there is the hope that tomorrow morning, everything will be different. Somebody say amen. Amen. You should shout for glory because if you don't like what you're seeing today, tomorrow brings hope in a marriage that is based on the word of God. You know, I have something special. Some people like to read their Bible in Greek. Some like to read it in Hebrew. I like to read mine in the Holy Ghost. And every once in a while, I like to see what the Holy Ghost has been speaking to another pastor. I want to show you Pastor Brasso's Bible. This comes from Psalm 103. You can turn there if you like. I'm going to read to you from his notes because this is a man with a serious set of stones.
You can see it reflected in the joy of his wife's salvation. Psalm 103, verse 1. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. One of the things that the word teaches us to do is reflect on the benefits of our covenant. The benefits of the word. Pastor Brasso has seven of them listed here. Who forgives all your sins. Who, and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things. So that your new, your youth is renewed like an eagle's. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Let's go over those again. Soul submission brings forgiveness to you and your spouse. Submitting your mind, will, and emotions gives you the chance to forgive your wife. Gives your wife the chance to forgive you because they are lifting up their very thoughts to the Lord and saying, how do you think about it? Because however you think about it is the sole thought I will have on the subject. Man, do you have a different thought than God has about your spouse at the moment? I know more people that have given themselves cancer through unforgiveness. Now, I'm not saying that all cancer comes from unforgiveness. Obviously, it is the reproduction of cells that are not acting according to the design. But I want to tell you there is an unusual link between bitter people and cancer. I've also met happy people that had cancer and they sometimes get healed. My point is you were not made to live with unforgiveness. Do you know that if you will not forgive someone, you cannot be forgiven? How much more must that be true of the person you're married to? Are you carrying around something that is years old? Do you bring it out in an argument to defend yourself against correction? Do you carry it around like a special treasured club just to beat your spouse with? Soul submission brings forgiveness as benefit number one. Benefit number two, soul submission brings healing to you and your spouse. Do you want to be wounded or do you want to be healed? Learn to lift up your thoughts to the Lord every day. To do it as a couple. To especially do it about the things that you have different thoughts about. Number three, soul submission keeps your marriage from going down to the pit. You know, that's an expression that brother's marriage is in the pits. The way you keep your marriage from going to hell in a neatly packaged little hand basket is every single day. Say, every day. You're going to lift up your soul to the Lord. Number four, soul submission puts a crown on both you and your spouse of love and compassion. You want to know whether you've properly submitted your soul to the Lord? Do you love and have compassion for your spouse? If you can't make a choice to have loving actions for your spouse and compassion for your spouse, then you can't love or have compassion on anyone, especially not the next joker that you hook up with. See, if you ain't doing it now, you're not going to do it later. 
But everybody thinks a change of venue will fix everything. They think it about their spouses, their churches, their jobs, because we have an unfaithful and perverse generation. We need to learn soul submission. Somebody say amen in the house of God. Number five, soul submission will keep you satisfied. Do you want to be satisfied? Who wants to be fully satisfied in the house of God? Oh, man. A satisfying marriage, Jennifer. It's invigorating. The Lord will mold your desires to be like His. Now, I happen to have married the most amazing woman in the world. I'm not even a little bit drawn to these fake lips, fake chicken chest parts, fake thighs, fake and real attitudes. I'm not drawn to any of that because I desire what the Lord desires and he built one perfect for me. Oh my goodness, that's one sexy grandma on the front row. She's going, stop, stop, which of course encourages me. I know what she means. Cultivate me, baby. Cultivate me, baby. Listen, there are benefits to soul submission. Soul submission gives you the desires of your heart because it puts the desires in your heart. You learn to crave the things that God does. When Pastor Wade looks over at his wife worshiping, when I look over at my wife worshiping, it stirs something inside of us that a paintbrush and a Barbie doll just can't do. Number six, soul submission will reinvigorate your marriage and make it youthful at any age. He said, you, your youth is renewed like an eagle's. People that get soul submission right in their 20s are amazing. In their 30s are amazing. In their 60s, ain't going to stop now. It's getting better. Y'all are too, oh, amen, we got a witness. Robert loves Nicole, and Nicole loves Robert. Isn't that a whole lot better than an afternoon filled with spite? Do you want to reinvigorate your marriage the way that you do it as you submit your thoughts to the Lord? Number seven might be the best as it often is. In any situation that is unfair or oppressive, soul submission allows the Lord to work righteousness. That's verse uh, six there. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. When you think as he thinks, when you submit your mind, will, and emotions to him, he works on your behalf. Do you want the Lord to work justice for you? Then we can't go our own way. We can't do it. The Lord loves the ordered universe. He loves the cosmos. He does not love the rebellion in the cosmos. And rebellion can start inside of your heart, your will, your emotions. When you decide that you're going to think, act, and feel differently than the word. And that you have no choice in the matter. I can't help it. I just have to. You're offending your creator. He gave you the ability to control these things. He says, rejoice always, pray continually. He knows what it takes for your marriage to succeed, and you don't, which is often evidenced by your track record. Since you know that your marriage has PMS, 
a pre-ministry cycle. You have to decide in advance how you're going to handle some things. You know, if you wait till you're in a difficult decision to decide what you're going to do, you often renegotiate in the face of adversity. A principled stand, a stand based on convictions, says, I know what I'm going to do before I get there, and it's an unassailable truth. It's something that is beyond contestation. I will not change my mind in the moment I give up that right. As a Christian, the Word of God ought to give you absolute truths that you can stand on. Would you like to go over some of those? As we do, remember that like a menstrual cycle, you will be the most volatile when you are not bringing forth life. See, the most difficult time in a precious woman's life is during those few days in a month where she is incapable of bringing forth life. This causes a hormone imbalance. It causes irritability. It causes so many things because God designed you to bring forth Life. And it hurts when you can't. Now why are the men amening and no woman is? What's wrong with you? You ready? Do you still love me? Do you love me? Do I look okay? Where does that come from? It comes from you being at a vulnerable time where you cannot bring forth life. You feel miserable. Everything feels out of kilter. And you just can't wait for it to pass and neither can anyone else. (laughs) In many cultures I've been in, they literally built villages at the edge of the village for that. People that are in productive ministry, bringing forth life in everything they do, that are busy with the Lord and full of His joy... Man, that's life. That's when we're happy. But when we're self-centered, inward focused, when we're selfish, that's when we're the most unhappy. That's a pre-ministry cycle. When we're inward focused and selfish, it's very much like that biological process. You can't bring forth life. You're about to bleed out. These times are bound to plague us. They plague us cyclically, even as our biology teaches us. We have to decide in advance of being in the situation what we're going to do. And as you consider these next steps, I'm going to encourage you with the word sacrosanct, inalienable, absolute, and indisputable. I am going to share with you unassailable responses to the inevitable Inevitable cyclical trials that are coming. What am I trying to tell you? What you're about to hear should become concrete conviction in you for your pre-ministry cycle. And if you don't do it, then in the cycle you will not win. Are you ready for them? Number one, we will practice soul submission. Number two, we are going to wash our spouse. We're not going to pressure wash them. We're not going to hydroblast them. In fact, John 13 and verse 14 tells us how we're going to do it. John 13 and verse 14 says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. 
I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. In what way are you going to wash your spouse? In the same way that Jesus washes you. So looking at your spouse and slamming them with the word of God and cutting them to pieces is not what Jesus did in John 13. In fact, he used the character, the nature, the principle of the word of God to clean their spouse, not make them feel dirty and bad. Do you want to learn to wash your spouse? Oh man, it's more fun than I can tell you in such a public setting. I personally enjoy washing my wife with the word. I just wanted to stare at you for a minute, honey. I love you so much. The third thing. It's okay. We were just having a moment there. I was contemplating skipping lunch. The third thing. If it takes all night, somebody say all night. All night. That's okay. Because daybreak will bring a blessing. Sometimes you get into this ministry cycle where you're tired, you know you got to go to work the next day, you got obligations, and man, I'm just tired, we can't do this anymore. And so you roll over, and you sleep a thousand miles apart even though you're a foot or two apart. Now, I'm not going to ask you how many of you have been there, I, I know. And if you lied to me, it'll just make me mad, and I'll preach that much harder, and it'll hurt people's feelings. So instead, let's look at what the Scripture says. Genesis 32 Verse 26. I've only been preaching 56 minutes. That's very short for me. Somebody said, Pastor, you're doing okay. Okay, now I'm going to tell you, I want you to do okay. You stay engaged with me. This comes from the throne. I'm working at it as hard as I know how to work. If you miss this, I might not be there when you need me to tell you again. Genesis 32, verse 26. Then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and men and overcome. In your struggle, do not give up until daybreak comes. We do not go to bed angry with each other. You wrestle all night until you overcome. You wrestle until God shows where His favor is. Because if you sleep on that wickedness, it may multiply. You think you'll be better prepared tomorrow on a more well-rested thing? I think your flesh needs to die. You need to practice soul submission. So we wrestle through the night. Until we get it right. The blessing will come at the break of day. How about this one? Number four. Do not resent the Lord's cup. Rejoice in your delightful inheritance of marriage. This comes from Psalm 16 and verse 5. Psalm 16 verse 5. Lord, you have assigned me my portion in my cup. What do you think we're talking about? When Jesus held up the cup that is communion, it was also a cup that a Jewish groom would hold up to a Jewish bride. If she drank from that cup, then they were engaged together. It was a way of saying we will share everything, the good, the bad, even if it's blood. And Jesus said to you, in this cup you have redemption. 
Don't you dare look at the Lord and say, the wife you gave me, the husband you gave me, my portion is not good. If you decided to get married before God, then the Lord has assigned you your portion and cup. You cannot renegotiate that in the difficult moment. That decision is made before the moment comes. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. You have to decide ahead of time that you love your portion. You love your cups. They come in all different varieties, boundary lines. And I love the ones that God has given me. I will praise the Lord who counsels me even at night. My heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Do you hear that? The way that you maintain a love for the portion he's given you, you maintain a love for the boundary lines he's given you as you always set the Lord before you. Not your latest grievance, the Lord. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. If you are shaken in your marriage, it's because you have departed from the Lord while you're contemplating departing from each other. It is not possible to maintain unity with the Lord with disunity with your spouse. He gave you your spouse. Now look at your girl and say, you're a gift from God, baby. Now ladies, look at your husband and say, cultivate me, baby, cultivate me. See, this is how ministry is supposed to work. You love each other. You can't wait for your husband to get the next revelation. And by the way, it's hard to get a revelation while somebody's yelling at you and calling you the king of all idiots. See, edifying speech is so important. Number five, affirm each other verbally and physically. Remember, these are sacrosanct. They're unassailable. They're an absolute response to trial. You don't wait till you get in the trial and decide, you know, I don't think we're going to affirm each other today verbally and physically because we're angry. That is putting your emotions before your convictions. 1 Corinthians 7, 5 is a verse that is not quoted enough in church. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time. So that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Can I say most marriages that are depriving each other, it has nothing to do with their praying. And everything to do with their angry. Then your anger is an idol. Because when God puts you together, you're not allowed for an emotion to separate you. And you can't say you're together in a way other than the way he joined you together. And how did he join you together? It was a blood covenant that involved the union of your bodies then come together again so that satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control you know it was not the beatles who made the phrase come together popular every married man who has ever read this said yes the bible says it and the answer is yes the bible does say this We need to be careful that these five 
non-negotiables, these five unassailable responses to marriage, are a part of your conviction. When inevitable trials come, when you're in a pre-ministry cycle, practice soul submission. The word's thoughts, the Lord's thoughts are more important than yours. Commit to wash your spouse as Jesus washes your spouse. Remember that you fight through the night if you have to because a new day brings a new blessing. Do not resent the Lord's cup. It's not even an option. Affirm each other verbally and, somebody say physically, like Olivia Newton-John in the 80s, let's get physical. You are not a spiritual or a physical human being. You're a merger of both. And you cannot separate the two. The home of your spirit is inside your body. The two of them are important to act in unity. How many of you could be worshiping while you were doing math homework? Probably not. You need to get your body and your spirit involved in unity if you want to be unified with your spouse. I could prove that to you a hundred different ways, but it's what week five of marriage counseling is for. It's what the book of Song of Songs was written and placed in the Bible for, and the church hasn't understood it, which is why Christians are often so boring. Your marriage is a blood covenant. And repeating the initial act of covenant will help you renew and strengthen your covenant. The fact that your flesh argues with this principle is all the more reason to crucify your flesh and act in spiritual obedience. Surrender a choice to show loving action. Do you remember our definition for love? Love is an... Love is an... That results from the choice to value the blood covenant so much that you sacrifice for it. Oh, here's an important word. Continually. Because God does. See, he wants to be one with his bride. Every time we get together and worship, you feel that. And that brings freedom. A husband and a wife are to come together in their covenant the same way they did the first night continually. This renews that covenant continually. It creates a oneness that all ministry flows from. And if you have a problem with that, you have a problem with God's order. If you see that as dirty or see that as something base or fleshly driven or carnal, you don't understand God or the word of God and you need to repent of your thought process. See, God's not a pervert. Neither am I a pervert. This instruction comes from the word. And you have no idea how deep it goes. Genesis contains blessings that will make people blush. Exodus speaks in language that you just can't believe of. Ezekiel says things you could not read in a junior high school. And it's because God's not ashamed of the subject. He knows what will bind a husband and a wife together. And the very reason that we withhold from one another in anger... The reason that we do it is the devil's trying to tear you apart. And when you submit to that, you're submitting to the devil's work. Now, I'm not going to show you the diagram again of the temple and the female body. But the mature in the room should understand that there are many levels to the next verses I'm going to read. We're moving towards a close, and it's important that you dial in and get this. Because the less spiritual in here, 
Those that are infants. I mean, you may think you're really mature, but you have no depth of revelation. Those guys, you're going to struggle with this. Those of you that are beginning to see deeply into God's word, you're beginning to understand principle upon principle, you'll see this easily, and it's mind-blowing. What I'm going to show you is deep, but it's deeply rooted in the word, and the last three messages have been building to this point, so I'm going to urge you to prayerfully consider what I'm saying. Are you going to do that? Let's go to Hebrews 10 and start in verse 19. Find me another pastor who is not being carnal that wants to preach on this subject. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers or couples, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Now, what have we been building towards? The most holy place can be related to a marriage as well as the temple. Are you feeling me here? Confidence. Confidence to enter the most holy place. By a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. See, many of our marriages were not founded on our blood as a covenant because we had no veil to tear and we had no purity on either part. So who substituted their purity for ours? Jesus. His sacrifice made your marriage possible since he gave you his blood when you had none of your own. See, this act is also an act of faith in what he has done for you. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God and in a marriage metaphor, near to who? Each other. Because he made it possible. You're drawing near to each other in matrimony with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. See, his blood and the water of his word allow you to come together and you're coming together even in the midst of a fight is faith in his spirit And his word and his blood that made your covenant, which still stands regardless of your feelings. Are you getting me here? Let us hold unswervingly (laughs) to the hope we profess. Friends, that's in marriage as well as salvation. See, the reason that we get angry and we don't engage in marital activities is we have lost hope. And we want to indulge that for a while. You need to not allow yourself to do that. Not even for a day. When you're discouraged, when you're in despair, you need to believe that the blood of the covenant brought you together. And listen to me, renew your covenant as an act of faith that God is changing both of you. And it starts with you surrendering to each other in him. For he who promised is faithful. The one that your covenant salvation is based on is his faithfulness. But so is your marriage based on his faithfulness, not yours. 
So you're coming together and saying, you're faithful to fix this. You will help us. Even though our emotions are rebelling, our bodies are rebelling, we are submitting our emotions and our bodies to each other and to you gives the faithful God a chance to work through your issues. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Especially your spouse, friends. If you're supposed to encourage the people in here to move further towards the Holy of Holies with the Lord, then how much more should a married couple move towards the things that that represents? And you ought to be spurring one another on. That might be a little uh, spurring. (laughs) Spurring. You know, that's not dirty. The book of Song of Songs is as anointed as John 3.16. You just don't understand it. If you did understand it, you would understand what God has given you and how beautiful it is and how innately spiritual it is and why the world has tried to corrupt it and in large part he succeeded in corrupting it in the church. But let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching, I'd like you to think of the next morning approaching. The later it gets in your fight, the harder it gets, the further you're going in all of that. You need to go, no, 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 no. Daylight's coming. we got to get this right. Daylight's coming. There's only one last option I can think of. So that you can go to bed in peace with your spouse and not risk a rift in your covenant. Because that rift in your covenant is a rift between you and God as well. If we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Are you getting it? See, these things are very related. Unfaithfulness to your spouse for an hour is unfaithfulness to God for an hour. If we do not decide up front these are unassailable, cannot be renegotiated conclusions that we come to, then every time you fight, you risk the judgment of God. But if these are your unavoidable conclusions, there is a security that comes. And that security brings intimacy. If you know that no matter what happens, it is not even on the table for you to separate. You're going to verbally affirm each other. You're going to physically affirm each other. No matter what happens before this discussion is over, then you are free to get it all out on the table and let the Lord deal with it. But if you're living in fear of consequence and punishing each other with retribution, then you should fear God's judgment because it will fall on you. Now, I personally would rather an afternoon of unity in life and renewal. I think that that's an extraordinary gift from God. I prefer to refer to that as an afternoon delight. Rather than judgment, raging fire, an enemy of God, and an afternoon of spite. You may not have come to church thinking you would hear about this, but what kind of message could touch your life in a practical way more? Deuteronomy 30 in verse 19. 
This day I call heaven and earth as a witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. See, your unity is supposed to produce children and your children's future is dependent upon your continued unity. Are you hearing me? Marriage and spiritual reproduction is not about just the production of a child. It's about the child's sustainability as he becomes a disciple and an adult. The years that they live in your home were not supposed to be birthed out of one glorious evening of unity. It's supposed to be a culture of unity and life. Our children grew up knowing that mommy and daddy loved each other. Loved each other frequently, often, repeatedly. It took us a long time to teach them you don't talk about this outside of the house. Because it's an open subject inside the house where they learn that they will grow and mature in unity. God's word is aimed at many things in a very holistic sense. But as it relates to marriage and spiritual reproduction, obeying God's word is the only way to bring life. See, it's about more than conception. It's about how you raise that child and in what environment. Romans 8, 6 says it so plainly. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. Are you getting me there? The marriage of the sinful man's mind is death. But the marriage with a mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. You know how to make a marriage work? You better practice soul submission and the other four unassailable truths. If you stay on a pre-ministry cycle, if you can't quit PMSing, and you're angry and you're depressed and irritable, then your marriage will not only not produce life, it'll die. But if you honor the blood of your marriage covenant... With physical and spiritual surrender, then you will have a marriage of life and peace. Somebody say amen. Amen. Do you want life and peace? It's found in the Holy Ghost. Revelation 2 and verse 4. These are my last three scriptures. Are you with me? Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things, say it with me, do the things things. you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now the spiritually mature are following me here. The scripture is definitely, this scripture is definitely about the church. But isn't it even more true about your marriage, which is your first ministry? If it's true in the church... How can it not be true in a marriage that is the foundation of church? I think it's more applicable in your marriage than in a church. If you stop doing the things that you did at first, then the lampstand, the fire goes out. If you never stop doing the things that you did at first, then it will burn brightly. These people were faithful in Ephesus to so many things, but somehow or another, their hearts were drifting from their first love. Love is a choice. 
You have to choose to renew your covenant, to be unified. And that choice will eventually yield feelings. But the choice not to is why a whole nation has convinced themselves that they fell out of love. And it is killing men, women, and children every day, even those that stay married. John 10, 10 says this so succinctly. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full or abundantly. Now, I've been called a lot of yucky things. It doesn't bother me anymore. One of the funniest ones is that I'm a sexual pastor. Well, if what that means is that at 18, I married my high school sweetheart, we've had eyes only for each other, and we believe in spiritual and physical unity and rejoice in it and encourage it to every married couple every chance we get, then yeah, that's me. I wear it with proud, proud marks. The reason our marriages are falling apart is we are unfaithful to very basic principles. And we make the situation complex, and it's not complex. All men are bound over to disobedience that God would have mercy on them all. His mercy is when you begin to understand this is not complex. It is a choice. A choice that you make every day, every hour, and you will reap the consequence of your choices. And we're saying choose life. Now, would you like to tie this message back to the very first one? We'll do it in the closing. I've been preaching an hour and 20 minutes, which is about my stride usually. The first message was called limp leadership, flaccid marriage. There are many things in that that you may never have heard before in church. Maybe the most shocking one is about Eden. Let me put a slide on the screen just to remind you a little bit. The word Eden is Strong's number 5730 and 5731. It's complex. It appears in several parts of speech. It's used in different ways. As a feminine noun, it denotes sexual pleasure derived from intercourse. I didn't say that. The complete word study dictionary says that. The scripture that that occurs in is Genesis 18:12, and I won't teach on it because I already have, but it literally is referring to sexual pleasure. Eden, the word Eden as a feminine noun, means the pleasure derived from sex. As a masculine noun, it denotes pleasantness, delightfulness, splendidness. As an example, Psalm 36, 8. As a proper noun, it designates the place described in Genesis with geographical locators. In the Greek translation of Genesis, it's said as the paradise of delights. My point is that Eden has always been full of double entendre. It means a specific place on the planet where a man was in a delightful spot because he was where God wanted him to be. That becomes even more clear when you consider that when Cain was sent away, he said, you're banishing me from your presence. So consider what this passage may mean. This could be a sowed for you. Ezekiel 36, verse 34. 
And worship team, you can begin to come up here while the rest of you stay engaged. The desolate land will be cultivated. The desolate land will be cultivated. When a man is filled with his purpose, when he's filled with presence, he's given a job and he cultivates. Cultivate me, baby. Cultivate me. Instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass through it, they will say, this land that was laid waste has become like the Garden of Eden. A delightful spot on the planet. The cities that were in ruins, desolate and destroyed, are now fortified and inhabited. I want you to get this. Some marriages have become desolate. They've become desolate and been laid waste. No life coming because PMS has dominated a pre-ministry syndrome of irritability, of anger, of emotional swings, has ruled instead of the Word of God, and it has laid waste to marriage. And the blood of Jesus makes a way for you not only to go into the Holy of Holies that is the presence of God, but for a married couple to experience Eden again. By the blood of Jesus to come back to a place of intimacy that is based on innocent dependence on the Lord rather than their own emotions, their own feelings. They are surrendering their physical, spiritual, and emotional realm to the Lord. And they're saying, above all else, you made us one and so we will act as one and trust that our feelings will return like they should. This takes the desolate land and it makes it like Eden. More than that, it inhabits the city and fortifies it. Life will come from your marriage again. More than just life coming from your marriage, the next thing that will happen is your marriage will become strong again because you are basing it on the principles of the Word of God. Now, if you're in this room and your marriage to your spouse is not what you want it to be, I have preached for four weeks of ways that you can get it there. We will meet with you privately and help you get it there. We have curriculum as much as you could want, but nothing is a substitute for your current application. If you're sitting here and you're like, Pastor, it's been great for four weeks. You've said a lot of interesting things, but I'm not married. I'm protecting you by telling you what to look for in marriage. And if all you and I are discussing is your marriage to Christ, then I want you to understand it works exactly the same way. If you've been far from His presence, no matter how you feel, no matter what your flesh is telling you, trusting in the blood of your covenant and re-entering the Holy of Holies will take you to an Eden-like state where you are innocently dependent upon Him again, and it is the climax of human experience. Or, you can go home and continue to get what you've always gotten. Love is a choice. 
And you have a choice to make. Your choice is reflected in your next action. I don't know about you, but I would grab the one that I love. I would choose to renew that covenant. I would start before the Lord and then act it out physically in every way. I would make sure that I was as close to God and as close to man as two people can be. And then I think, I think you won't have a limp leader in a flaccid marriage. I think you'll have one that started in humility and rose to great strength. I don't think that you'll have ED. I think that you will appreciate the blood of the marriage. I don't think that you will have afternoons of spite. I think you will have continual afternoons of delight. And instead of her having a ministry cycle, I think the two of you together will have ministry life. That's what we're after is life. Could you stand to your feet?